Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Today's guest is singer-songwriter Ryan Cabrera from Los Angeles, California. Together, we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind his breakout hit single, On The Way Down, taken from his 2004 debut major label album, Take It All Away. Ryan's story is fascinating. A young singer-songwriter is plucked from the smoky bars of Dallas, Texas and told he's a star. He's going to get taken to and put up in Los Angeles to write songs with other notable songwriters and look for a record deal. And that's precisely what happened. Along the way, he was asked who his dream producer would be. And one of the names he listed was Johnny Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls, who was immediately interested in the idea of working together. The pair hit it off, and upon the first hour of meeting, had already written a song together. Ryan mentioned that On the Way Down moved super slowly out of the gate, but was assured by the label heads at Atlantic Records that the song was performing perfectly and not to rush things. And they were right, as the track eventually climbed all the way up to number 15 on the Billboard Hot 100. Oh, and there's a David Lee Roth connection to this song as well. Make sure you listen in to find out how. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. What's up, Ryan? How's it going? Dude, I'm doing great, man. How about you? Fantastic. So are, are you still residing in Dallas, Texas? No, 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 no. That's old school. I was I was raised in Dallas. I moved out when I was like 20, 21 years old. Okay. Okay. So a- around the time uh, you released On the Way Down. Uh, no, actually. So I left Dallas and moved to, long story short, Joe Simpson, who was Jessica Simpson, actually Simpson's dad, saw me playing acoustic in Dallas. And I, I just, uh, I was like three months into uh, college, UTD college, you know, it was like a community college or whatever, but I was three months in and Joe uh, literally said, yeah, you're going to move to LA and you're going to move in with me and my family and uh, I'm going to make you a star kid, like straight out of the movie, like, I'm going to make you a star kid. I'm like, all right, wait, so what, what am I doing? Literally two days later, I'm on a flight to Los Angeles and I moved in with, with the, the whole family and... And in Encino, California, didn't even have a pair of shoes, dude. I, all I had was a pair of flippy floppies and just one <laughs> little suitcase. And I was out. Didn't even tell my parents I was leaving. Okay. Okay. Because for some reason, I thought maybe you were still a Dallas guy because I had uh, reached out to Jarrett Reddick from Bowling for Soup this morning. And I said, hey, you got to know Ryan, right? Because they had the song about your wife, Alexa. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. He's like, tell him I said hello. So known Jarrett forever. And, and I, I thought maybe there was some connection there. But Well, the connection there, I mean, there's, there's met me and Jarrett have been great friends now for a while. But like I used to open for Bowling for Soup like a couple, like back in the day when I was living in Dallas and uh, I was in a band and then eventually went solo. But um, it's funny how like it all comes full circle, like later on and, you know, and Jarrett sang at my wedding and uh, became a good friend. We were actually, when I was first talking to my wife, the first time we ever chatted, which is via text, um, somehow 
Bullock for Soup came up and I'm like, wait, you know Bullock for Soup? He's like, yeah, I think uh, I'm going to do a music video with them because they, they wrote a song about me. And I'm like, wait, what? So it was it was a wild connection between three of us. I was like, I love that, man. That's awesome. Well, when you released your independent debut record, Elm Street, in 2001, was that prior to Ashley's father uh, finding you? That was prior, yeah. So that came about by... My brother, uh, I was in a band at the time, and my brother got me recording studio time for my birthday. I'd never been in a real studio before, or just a studio at all. And uh, he went, and he's like, he, he gave me the gift, whatever. And I was like, oh, heck yeah. I told the band, like, we're all going to record. And then my brother found out how much it was going to cost. So uh, <laughs> it was a little out of, out of his budget, you know, at the time. And so I was like, I had to tell the band guys, like, sorry, I, I, my brother only has enough time for me to go in acoustic and record three songs. So <laughs> when I went in and did that, the guy, the engineer that was working at the studio was like, dude, he's like, I don't really have any artists like you come through and I, I love like your stuff. Like, what if I just record you for free? You keep coming in. And I was like, uh, yeah, done. So that's how I made that Elm Street record. It's just me solo acoustic. It was the first time I'd ever been on my own. And then in Dallas, like I kind of started, never like took off. Like I never got like really popular, but like, you know, there would, there would be like 50, you know, people at my shows where originally there was five and then it would grow to like a hundred people at the shows and then a couple other people. And then it was like, wait, maybe, maybe there's something cool about doing the singer songwriter solo acoustic thing. Yeah. I wanted to ask, so what, you know, you're, you're kind of seeing you're building a following. Were you working it or was this just kind of maybe like a hobby or something you did on the weekends? Or were you like getting a mailing list together and trying to, you know, have an online presence or, or whatever there was for an online presence in 2001 or two? Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was all mailing, all, all emailing lists. Yeah. Yeah. Write your, yeah. write your email down every single show. And I was trying to do every gig that you know possible i played in every bar around town i drove to austin like on the weekends played in austin and you know did did the grind for like three or four or five years of just non-stop I was going to say, though, that that's kind of an impossible grind. And and I say that because I know so many friends of mine. I know guys in established bands that try to do it in reverse and they'll go out and pick up the acoustic guitar and try to do it. It's a lonely world out there. It really is. And, you know, all I knew was I got in a van with my band when I was young and started playing shows and, and we started connecting the dots. It happened organically and very slowly. But you got thrown in the fire here. Were you scared to death going to L.A.? Like, what am I doing here? Did you feel? worthy did you feel like i can do this or you know what was going through your head i think i was so naive and 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 <laughs> how i thought you know the music business worked and you know yeah i was you know kind of the beauty of being you know young and dumb for me at the time was i did believe like i did and i wasn't very good like i hadn't like really established like who i was yet but i i really thought like i deserved to be there and i and um, but that was just in my head. And so luckily, because of that kind of naivete, I was walking into rooms with like the presidents of record labels with flip flops on um, <laughs> with an acoustic guitar and kind of throwed it. And that, that to me was kind of exciting. I thought it was kind of fun how scary it was. You know, I walk in a room with, you know, the president of, of Columbia Records and he would just go, all right, impress me and sit back. And I'm like, huh? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. uh, how do I do that? And uh, I think, you know, I was just just kind of in that mindset of like, no matter what, at some point, like I am going to make it and no matter what, what it took. And so I and I got rejected. Every every single record label told me no. They all said, we love your look. We love your voice, you know, um, but we don't hear any hits. So no. And I didn't understand what that meant at the time. 
Because I'm like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm going to write hits. Like, we're good. Like, why wouldn't you want to sign me? You said you liked everything. And I didn't understand that. So I went back to the drawing board and just started writing and writing and writing. And then eventually wrote um, True and On the Way Down and um, what essentially became that first record. And then the, those same labels started calling uh, and be like, yo, you know, where? And I'm like, wait, I thought you said no. And now that I know the business, you know, after being in it for 20 years, I'm like, I get what was happening then. Had I known what I know now, like gone in with that mindset, I probably could have just given up and be like, dude, this is going to be way too hard. Nobody wants to sign me. Um, but luckily, being kind of naive, I just didn't care. Right. So you get out there and I mean, you got a bunch of people that you're working on songs with. Is it uh, Sable or Sabelle Breer? Oh, Sabelle. Yeah, Kurt and Sabelle. Right. So I noticed for, for this track, On the Way Down, Sabelle is credited along with yourself and Curtis Frosca. Now, Curtis has worked with Avril, Third Base, De La Soul, Queen Latifah. Uh, Sabelle's worked with Avril, OAR, and, and a bunch of other bands. So you were working with these songwriters. You were signed to Atlantic, but... I wasn't signed yet. Oh, you weren't signed yet? No, okay. I wasn't signed. So basically how it went down was uh, there was a publisher named Evan Lamberg at EMI who is you know, a genius and one of my favorite people in the music business, just a great guy. He goes, yo, I know there's potential here. Why don't I give you some money to, you know, to live? Cause I know you, you know, you're going to be out in LA and you're traveling in New York, whatnot. Let me give you a deal. Uh, you'll have some money to live and you just keep writing. And, uh, then eventually, you know, I ran into Sabelle, he introduced me to Sabelle in New York. And then, then we started writing, uh, and then we, you know, kind of came up with the songs that eventually led to Deal with Atlantic. Had you written with anybody before? Or was this all new territory? No, that was those were the first uh, first two people I ever wrote with. Was that at all intimidating saying, wow, you know, I'm this young kid. I've been thrust out here to L.A. Uh, did they put you up at the Oakwoods? Is that where they had you living? No, I live with the Simpson family. <laughs> but I know all about the Oakwoods because I eventually when I, you know, two years later, I when I finally got, you know, publishing deal, I got my own apartment and it was right next to the Oakwoods, which was, gotcha. was we used to call a different name, but think we all know. Gotcha. Well, a couple of other things here, some some parallel things that, that happened uh, with, with my career. Uh, we had an, a, a record engineered by Doug McKean, who engineered... Uh. The Muffin Man. Yeah, and I, you know, D Doug's no longer with us. Yeah, I don't know if you heard. Love. Doug but. is a huge, huge part of my album. In, in, you know, credit, of course, to Johnny Resnick, you know, being the producer of the record. But I didn't realize at that time, like, how much an engineer actually, you know, is technically co-producing it as well. Because Doug was a huge part of a lot of the the parts that actually made the record. And then so much so that when I went to make my second album, we already knew the players we wanted. And so I had Doug engineer that second record and uh, I ended up producing it myself. But technically, I consider that a collab between Doug McKean and myself and Johnny Resnick. Doug, I can't say enough about him. He engineered a record for us that we did with Rob Cavallo, and he was the fastest editor I have ever seen on Pro Tools. The guy was just an absolute machine. And can we also talk about who played drums on this track? Greg Bissonette. And yeah. <laughs> so, Greg, I mean, were you aware of his background? Because, you know, you're a little younger than me. He played with David Lee Roth. That was his big break in the 80s. He played on all those David Lee Roth hits. So what was that like working with Greg? Dude, I didn't know much so Bresnik brought in a lot of the cats that uh, him and Rob used on the Goo Goo Dolls records. And, you know, just these A-list players like Paul Bushnell, which at the time I had no idea. I was just so happy to be making an album. Um, yeah. I never even, I never asked what, what records anybody had been on. I never like looked up any credits. I just considered them like 
all, you know, immediate family because, you know, we spent so much time together curating those songs. And those players are as much as producers as well. But then I didn't realize about Bissy until I went to go see uh, my buddy and his dad, and they were playing in Ringo, Ringo Starr's all-star band, and Greg Bissonette's playing the drums next to Ringo Starr, and we see each other backstage, and mind you, this is like eight years later, and he literally started singing, you know, two or three of the songs. He was like, you know what, I love that, you know, 40 Kinds of Sadness, started playing. Like, how do you remember that? Because I was such a small, you know, yeah. blip on his ultimate radar <laughs> of, of records that he's played on. And then I, I saw him, I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, I, I didn't realize kind of the magnitude of how, you know, incredible and all the records that he played on and Freeze played on the record, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, Jason Freeze and... You know, it was, it was, and then I eventually went, went and saw Green Day and saw him playing in Green Day, and who was one of my favorite bands, you know, of all time. So sure. it, was, it was, it was, my mind was blown. Um, but I'm glad, you know, in a sense that I didn't really know at the time because it kind of, it, it made me just focus on what I was there for, which was making my record. Um, yeah. As opposed to, you know, worrying about anything else at the time. And I can see just from talking to you, you got a smile on your face. These are happy oh, memories. Like oh, you're, the best. You're, you've been in the business for over 20 years and you're not jaded. That's refreshing. I like oh, it. No, never. And I got to tell you, I'm a huge John Resnick fan. I've loved Goo Goo Dolls before they were a household name. I love them when they were touring around in the van. And I was looking for other production credits and, you know, I haven't, couldn't really find anything else that Johnny had done. So how did you get hooked up with him and, and, uh, you know, how, how the label give him the green light to produce the album? You know, that was, so when I first signed with Evan Lambert, the guy at EMI, very beginning, and he's like, you know, is there any like dream collaborations or like writers or, you know, people that you want to put on the list? I'll go out and see if they want to work with you. Now, I was joking at the time, but of course, I, you know, I'm shooting for the stars. I just said, I said, Rob Thomas and Johnny Resnick. Not thinking any, anything of it. You know, for me, it was kind of like a joke, like, yeah, right? Yeah. And then uh, one day, just randomly, Evan calls me and he said, hey, so uh, I talked to Johnny Resnick. I uh, played him some of your stuff and he loved it. He wants you to come over to his house in the Hollywood Hills and uh, just go meet him. And so I'm like, wait, 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 what? And now mind you, this is like a year later. Like I already written most of the record. Uh, yeah. I just, you know, I thought it was a joke. Turns out, you know, I went to his house. We just played music for hours and hours and hours, listened to tons of stuff, ended up picking up a guitar. And then I remember the first thing, and I'd heard about him doing this, but I didn't you know, really know if that was like a real thing. The first thing he does, he's like, hey, grab a guitar. I grab a guitar. I start playing some chords. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, just start untuning it. And I'm like, wait, what? And I was like, wait, I know, like, yeah, because I knew like one of his songs and it was weird tuning. So he just starts having me untune all these strings. And I just start, you know, figuring out, you know, sonically, like, okay, like that kind of works, that kind of doesn't work. You know, I've done drop D before, like everybody else, but not like yeah. literally every string. Yeah, he's like tuning to open G and stuff. Tuning whatever, yeah. And I didn't even know what it was. And I ended up doing something and then he did something. And next thing I know, we had, we wrote this song called Illusions together. And uh, I was like, what the hell just happened? I wasn't even there to write. We were just we were just hanging, listening to music. Next thing I know, I wrote a song with Johnny Resnick, you know, one of my heroes. And uh, it was just so much fun. And then we wrote, we wrote another song together with Cara Diaguardi, and that went really well. And then at that point, we kind of developed a relationship. And I was like, dude, do you want to just keep working on this record? And he's like, dude, I'm not on tour right now. 
uh, why not? And uh, so then we you know, got the approval for him to produce a record, first record he ever produced. So that was new. Um, and it was, it was interesting because there was a lot of nights where we actually didn't get along you know, in the beginning because I'm young, dumb, think I know everything there is, you know, you know, he this is his first time producing, working with like, you know, a newer artist who I'm sure was really frustrating for him because I'm like, mm-hmm. well, this is my record. Here's how I think this should sound. And he's trying to give his expert advice. And so sometimes I wouldn't listen. Sometimes he didn't want to listen. And we actually had to get Evan to come fly down from New York and almost have like marriage counseling between the two of us. <laughs> so in the back of your mind, though, you you have to be thinking this is the same guy that wrote Iris and Name, though. So I that's, wasn't, you know, I you know I knew that, but I kind of threw that out the door. Like when I when <laughs> we agreed to work together, that's awesome. In my head, I'm like, this is a level playing field. Now I should have been, you know, more like like that. But um, at the end of the day, it made me grow. It made him grow separately. I think you know doing something different and you know kind of learning from each other. I thought. And there's a tension that is actually, you could hear in the music that if I worked with anybody else, it wouldn't have been that way. And so he, the the tension that came from our dynamic is what created that original Take It All Away sound, you know, which has a very distinct sound that is because of what was going on between me and Resnick, you know, behind closed doors. And then after, after we finished the record, then I kind of got that, like, I just made a record with Johnny Resnick, you know, a genius in you know in our business and then it sunk in and then i'm like and i probably pissed him off a lot so who knows <laughs> when the next time we're going to talk is but you know the record went on you know to to do really well so i i know we were both kind of like in our like oh it worked it worked it worked kind of thing and so it was an incredible experience at the end of the day i love that story and i love that creative tension i forgot to tell you the whole point of what i was talking about like doing that tuning when we went to go record the song later after I wrote it I didn't know I never wrote down what I tuned those strings to <laughs> so whatever we did on that demo I'll never play that the same I'll never under, like know exactly what the tuning was so as genius as it was you know that he does that and as wild as it was I'm an idiot for never writing down what we actually tuned it to so the original illusions I still to this day have no idea how to play as it is on the record That's awesome. Well, I love that story. Ryan, I want to jump into this song. It's three minutes and 32 seconds. We got an eight bar intro with drums, uh, electric guitars. uh, Those are clean guitars, acoustic guitar, bass guitar, and an island kind of vibe loop uh, playing along with the band. Tambourine shakers. I hear some congas panned left and right. Not sure if it's a bass guitar overtone, but there's these really cool swells on each root note. That's ha- yeah. What is that? I think it's like a backwards bass. I think I think McKean McKean um, would do a lot of like weird crap just randomly, and and then I would come back to the studio and hear it and be like the heck was that it was dope i almost had to i was on youtube at first i was i was looking at a lyric video and then i went to the uh your regular video that you had made for the song yeah and i was still hearing these things and then i went to spotify and i was still hearing it almost sounded like you know how when you got an old crappy mp3 file yeah that's almost what it kind of sound like was sparkling in the background but it's the production of it and those swells are so cool yeah i mean i mean and that was all their genius ideas because i mean i wrote it on the acoustic guitar and then you know they kind of just started doing weird stuff to it and then uh 
it was, uh, it, you know, it was, it was, it was somewhat similar to the demo, but not at all. I don't even know how to explain it properly. But yeah, there's a lot of interesting things that uh, eventually, which are great on the record. But then when you, you know, when you go to play it live, we were like, <laughs> it took us a while to figure out how to, because you know, especially back then, like in 2004, I believe was our first tour, where we were performing that whole record live, and I'm like. We, we weren't, you know, we're not playing a track, you know, we're just doing the full band thing. Um, yeah. And so we're like, how do we recreate, you know, some of those things? Because it was before kind of people were doing, you know, hitting a pad and then it would, you know, kind of play. Sure. Play to the record. Um, yeah. Eventually, eventually we figured it out, but I love the bass part on that too. That, that kind of makes the whole riff. I love breaking down songs like this too, because it isn't until the end of the chorus that we get the first chord change. You know, we're talking, it's about 45 seconds in this song. It's the same progression, but it's what's coming in and out. The instrumentation, the different pieces that are coming in that you don't feel that you're in the same progression. You don't feel you're in that same world. And when it finally does move in the chorus, and we're going to get to that in a little bit, it's such a great relief when it does happen. But I love that because I'm... As as I get older, I wish I could simplify my songwriting. Sometimes I try to get too fancy. I got to have more chord arrangements. And sometimes you just don't. Case in point, this song, we get into verse one. Uh, same chord progression as the intro, uh, again, and the same overall instrumentation. Got to ask, do you remember if your lead vocal was doubled here? I don't remember. I don't think so. It doesn't sound like it to me. I do know that uh, when people started doubling with Pro Tools, they'd get really, really locked and they would ghost one back. But it sounds like a I single think we vocal did that in the choruses okay if i remember correctly i remember and i remember for me thinking it was weird you know mind you i'm making my first record and i don't know how you know albums are made or i didn't know that that was even a thing so when he had me singing like melodies the same he's like oh no it'll be a double i'm like wait what and you don't even notice mm -hmm. like a lot of people wouldn't even know that pretty much a, a lot of the choruses you hear on pop or, or pop rock records are doubled you know, the same exact melody just doubled and then ducked down. So it just kind of makes it a little thicker. Yeah, for sure. And there's so much going on in the chorus with the loop and everything that's happening that it, I couldn't really tell, discern if there was a double. It makes sense because there's a yeah. lot of vocals going on there. Sick and tired of this world. There's no more Tripping over myself. Sick and tired of this world. There's no more air. Tripping over myself. Going nowhere. Waiting. Suffocating. No direction. I took a dive and. Yeah, so this uh, this one at the time was kind of, you know, for, for me at that time, I was kind of going through like a, an interesting relationship in like the like the, the religious world of like I'm at a loss for you know kind of where I am who I am and it's like looking for something you know to actually you know to come which well what's about to come which is to like when I'm on my way down is there anything that could could somehow save me and so this this verse is just kind of the setup of you're just having a tough time in your life and you know there's things that nobody else else really understands and you just feel like you can't even breathe um, and it's a very, very like just personal song of like nobody else could understand. I could try to talk to somebody about it, wh whoever it is, whether it be girlfriend, parent, God, you know, whatever you believe in, whatever that is, like you just feel like nobody's listening kind of thing. 
And that's kind of the setup for what's about to come in the chorus. Okay. And did you already have the title or any of this kicking around before you got with Sabelle and Curtis to co-write it? Was there anything there or was it on the spot? You got in a room and you maybe explained what you just explained to me about uh, the emphasis of the song and you went from there? Yeah, this one this one came uh, started with the riff. So we didn't start with the title or anything. It just started with uh, I had like a and then the the verses started to come. And then once we got the verse, that kind of led to what was going to be the title, which was on the way down. So, yeah, we didn't we didn't have like any ideas kind of preconceived, but we it was like more of a song that came about from just talking. And I think during those sessions, if I remember correctly, like I would talk and Sabelle had this like, well, at the time, little tape recorder, like actual tape recorder and a notebook. And so she would just kind of take little bits of what I would say you know, like phrases or whatnot and just talking about what's going on in life and taking those bits and be like, oh, that could be kind of cool, like in a verse area. And then we'd kind of spring up about from like those little bits. Because, you know, sometimes sometimes for me, like some of the best songs are just conversational. You know, it's like I want to be able to just be chatting with you and then you take it and you manipulate it into a way of like, I don't want to say like sounding cool, but a little bit more songwriter-y, a little more clever than just, yeah. but it's just simplifying, you know, the, the idea and just being like, we're having a conversation like, oh my God, you know, you know, I'm sick and tired of this world. Like there's, I feel like there's no more air, you know, and then you take out like, I feel like, you know, I just, you know, or like, I feel like I've been tripping over myself every day, you know, and I'm just going nowhere. And so you take out the like, oh, tripping over myself, going nowhere, what I'm waiting for. And it's like, I feel like I'm suffocating. He's like, oh, waiting, suffocating, you know, and then the kind of chop it up from there is, is kind of how we were. A lot of the songs that we all wrote together, three of us is kind of like how those came about. And sometimes, you know, the, the direct way of a line or the way you speak is the obvious. Yeah. Sometimes the obvious isn't, you know, isn't the right answer, but sometimes it is. Yeah. Sometimes just the way that you, you're expressing yourself and it's smart. She was sitting there with the tape recorder. Yeah. I want to get this guy in a stream of consciousness when he's not really thinking about the lyrics. He's just talking about his pain or his struggle or whatever he's going through. And the next next thing you know, you got a couple cool lines out of it. Yeah. Oh, look at, I mean, Wildflower, Tom Petty, that whole song was a stream of consciousness. Wildflowers, you belong in a boat out at sea. You belong with your love on your arm. You belong somewhere you feel free. Because you wonder, like, how could somebody, you know, be that brilliant? It's like, it's actually, it's, it's simple, but sometimes even actually the simplest stuff is the hardest to get. Right. Well, uh, here in verse one, uh, we get our first harmony on no direction. And on the last line, took a dive is alone by itself. The band stops there and there's a snare fill over the word and to launch chorus one. On the way down, I saw you and you saved me from myself. And I won't forget the way you love me. And on the way down. On the way down, I saw you, and you saved me from myself. And I won't forget the way you loved me. And on the way down, I almost fell right through, but I held on to you. 
what I wanted this kind of song to be represent was anything that, you know, could help you on your life that, you know, uh, and it doesn't have to be something specific for me. I wanted, especially when I was making that first album, I wanted everything to kind of be a little bit more universal and not like, here's exactly what the song means. But the, the general synopsis of that would be anything in your life that, you know, takes you out of a dark hole, whatever that be. Some For some people, it could be, it doesn't have to be a you, it could be music. You'd be like, you know, when I was on my way down, you know, and I felt like jumping off the edge, I, I found this artist that saved me from myself. Um, it could be, you know, a person that, you know, your loved one, um, a friend, your, you know, a higher power, whatever you believe in, is really just whatever that saving grace for you is, is, who is the you know main character in that song? I've waited all my life to cross this line to the only thing that's true. Hey everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Ryan Cabrera coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, I hope you're all enjoying today's episode of Chris Makes a Podcast. It's listeners like you who keep us going strong. And the most impactful way to help us keep this show going is to head to ChrisDemakes.com and sign up for our supporting cast. You'll get weekly bonus episodes of The After Party, where we do fun episodes about music history, classic albums, tour stories, trivia, and everything else you can imagine. Plus, there's an enormous back catalog of these episodes, so we can keep you laughing and learning for a really long time. So yeah, for the cost of buying us a drink because you enjoy Chris Makes a Podcast, you can help us continue to create episodes with all of your favorite artists. Just head to ChrisDemakes.com to sign up, and from the bottom of our hearts, thanks for listening to the show. And now, back to the show. Well, we got some cool things happening here in Chorus 1. It's the same chord progression until the line I almost fell right through. The progression changes there, and as I mentioned a minute ago, it just feels so good. Uh, slightly overdriven stereo guitars join the party here in the chorus, along with the swirling ah-ah uh, uh, vocals. There's a lot of vocals in here, and that's why, again, it's, it was a little difficult to discern if you had doubled the vocal here in the chorus, because there's just, there's just so much uh, that's happening here. Those vocals, those ah vocals, are panned off left and right kind of swirling around sounds like again computer noise or like a guitar pedal noise kind of spacey that's buried in the mix here kind of swirling around and on the word through uh the feedback that noise that i'm talking about is very pronounced over uh pan on, on the left uh, left speaker I got to ask, you were credited in the liner notes. Did you play acoustic guitar on this song? I did, yeah. You did? I played all the acoustics on the first out, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Did you play any electrics on here or just the acoustics? Just acoustics. Uh, I think okay. I, I may have played some rhythm parts um, just to get that same feel, because especially at that time, like, you know, there's a certain feel on certain bits, but I, the majority of all the electrics uh, was Greg Saran. 
but I play, we started every song with just the acoustic and then Greg would kind of work around that. Very cool. That's fascinating to me. I always ask because, you know, everybody works differently. You know, a lot of right. times someone like yourself might come in and, yeah, I build the whole song on an acoustic with a click and the whole band joins me. Other times the whole track's there and you'll come in and play acoustic. So I always like right. to, to pick people's brains. It, it's cool. Yeah. With this one, we actually played all together, which I know is kind of unprecedented, you know, for a lot of records being like, you know, piece by piece. But I thought I, I really wanted to. And Johnny as well thought it'd be cool. Like we actually all played at the same time. Uh, so drums, uh, bass, electric, and acoustic. And then everything else was kind of overdubbed after. That's awesome. Well, we get a harmony on Saved Me From Myself in this chorus. And that's really the only harmony that, that's here. Again, you got those ah-ah vocals that kind right. of have some harmonies happening with those. I used to love those pads. Those ah pads. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't know why at the time. I think in my head, I thought it was like Beatles-y. So I'm like, oh, no. Uh-huh. Oz and then the harmony on the Oz and the big Oz and and then you just smush them down and kind of make that the background instead of just uh, all you know the three part harmonies but and then you just have like a little touch of it at the end which kind of makes it like pop out that you, you don't even know you know that it does but right feel that it does well speaking to the end and we're going to get there you know the melody kind of changes on the last chorus and i have to ask because the other two choruses here the word down like on the way down that right there is really the only thing i go mal that sounds like resnick that sounds like the just that note choice right (laughs) there do you recall talking about that at all the rest of the song i mean yeah it could sound like goo goo dolls it could sound like a, a, a number of bands but that particular part i was like wow that really does sound like like a giant Johnnyism. Uh, no, because I mean, all the all the melodies, everything was already done like way before we even met. But I wouldn't okay. be surprised if you know him being such an influence of mine uh, with that first record that you could you'll hear things that be like, oh, you know, that's that's a very Johnny thing at that time, or you know, like Rob Thomas. You know, there's certain things that you you do that you don't even know that you're doing, which could have you know stemmed from an influence. Uh, for as far as like, any like the melody stuff, there was you know only a few songs that you know I think he came in and he would be like, hey, this could actually be a yeah, an even better you know melody I think than what you guys already had on the demo, and I'd be like, you know what, you're right, that is that is better because I've heard this song hundreds of times. I hear it all the time, still grocery stores, you, you yeah. hear the tune. I never knew Johnny produced it and I never picked that out before. But as I'm combing through this, I'm like, wow, I, I could hear that. And again, as you said, it could be because he's an influence and I yeah. love stuff like that as well. After chorus one, we go into an eight bar reintro. Same instrumentation as the top, but now there is another loop with these cool atmospheric swirling sounds and a killer guitar lick panned off right playing a great counter melody. That lick uh, runs through all of verse two uh, that is right after it, albeit it's Mixed uh, lower than it is here in the reintro. The lick uh, kind of comes back when the vocal comes in. I've been wondering why it's only me. Have you always been inside waiting to breathe? It's all right. Sunlight on my face. I wake up and yeah, I'm alive. Cause. Yeah. So that, that verse is kind of the realization 
of whatever it is that's bringing you out of that that crazy funk or whatnot. And you, you know, for for me at that time, it was just inside of me of like, oh my gosh, you know, you can do this or whatnot. And it's you know, it's just kind of that transition period of like allowing whatever it is that can kind of save you from you know yourself or like your your mind kind of messing with you and taking you into a place that you know you don't need to be and allowing whatever it is that is is saving you from yourself in and realizing that you know it is going to be okay and you will get out of this and that's where you know like the allow you know like all of a sudden the sunlight hits you on your face and then all of a sudden like boom the realization you know what I'm alive like I'm I'm back like I'm here you know I got this well, there's a couple interesting things here in Chorus 2. The lyric uh, is the same as Chorus 1, but it's the same overall instrumentation. But I swear, Ryan, that the ah vocals are louder here. I kept A-being them. I wouldn't be and surprised. And I swear that they're up a DB or two in the mix there. And there's no harmony on Saved Me From Myself. Uh, if there is, it's nowhere near as present as it was in Chorus 1. Now, I know you did this record to Pro Tools, so it wasn't just copied and flown to the next chorus, copied and pasted. So uh, do you recall hearing those nuances? It's really interesting that uh, that harmony is just not there. And I swear those ahs are louder, but it's cool. That, you know, it could have been... <laughs> It could have been an accident because I remember like in, in those <laughs> I've heard that a lot. Yeah, because I do and I still have somewhere like this notebook, like this thick of every page of every song of every part. And like and I and ever since then, you know, I don't know if it was just the times, you know, I think what we made that record in two thousand two of a checklist of like this harmony, this bit, this this uh, loop, yeah. this everything, and it was five million notes because it was it tripped me out because I've made you know two hundred songs since and and done things such a different way that I saw the notebook. I'm like, oh my gosh, like and there was like you know you have the thing on the wall and you're checking everything off of like what you've done, what you <laughs> haven't done, what you have left to do, harmony parts you haven't done because now it's so different. You're like I sang the chorus once sing the harmony once they're going to fly it to the next chorus the next chorus but like realizing that i'm like we probably just missed it on the checklist because there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tracks for that specific album that like it was intense you know i don't know if we were that like aware of like this might be the best thing for the song to drop that i do know like when things were raised like the oz like if those yeah. were raised like a DB or half a DB, that was on purpose. Did Doug mix the record, Doug McKean? Yeah. He did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And he, and I know that they like to also speed up the chorus half a BPM and then go back to the verses. So if anybody, and I know just from my drummers along the way, kind of be like, dude, I'm, because they're putting in their own track. I'm like, I'm playing this track, but for some reason <laughs> the chorus, like, I, yeah, I'm like, Oh, I forgot. Like Johnny and Doug love to speed it up by just half. Cause he's like, dude, you won't even know. You won't even know what happens, but you'll but feel it. But you're going to feel it. Yeah. yeah. And so that would happen on all the courses. And then I think the, the D, half a DB going up just on the volume of the Oz was a, uh, this is a bigger course now. It's number two. And then it probably goes up on course three just to be like, now this <laughs> is even bigger. Cause he was all about, you know, building to where like the end was just the, most ultimate thing you can be. Life goes on the way down. I saw you and you saved me from myself. And I won't forget the way you love me. And on the way down, I, 
I got to tell you, the next three sections, it's a minute long. It's from 141 to 241 in the song. One minute out of a three and a half minute song is a good chunk of time. The, the progression does change here for this bridge, but this whole minute, there's a lot of parts. I've broke it down by calling it <laughs> a bridge uh, with basically a breakdown and a post bridge. I was so afraid of going under, but now the weight of the world feels like nothing. No, nothing. Again, the progression here has changed. We get backing vocals on the word I that hold out, as well as going under those backing vocals come, and they're pretty pronounced and pretty loud there. Then we get harmonies on, but now the weight of the world feels like nothing. No, nothing. On those last two lines, the guitars, stereo guitars get really choppy and heavy here. A very different texture that happens. And on nothing, there's this low buried harmony panned off left. that's kind of cool and haunting there. Uh, so set up these lyrics, this part. Well, just just uh, backtrack. Just the reason why it's probably a minute, minute and a half or whatever is because the bridge is my favorite part of a song. Especially then, like uh, nowadays, I think people kind of get a little lazier with the bridges, but... Especially that, like I, I just loved that you could take a part and just go somewhere completely different with it, and it didn't really matter how long it was. So yeah, it, it's a breakdown of like, there's you know the, the heavy bridge and then goes into something else, which kind of it's it's almost like a little storytelling of just in, in the music itself. But this is also you know like the I was so afraid of going under, like you know just trying to be honest with what was happening, and it's like. Uh, you know, I really was afraid of, you know, not being able to come out of this, you know, dark hole. And then, uh, you know, once I found whatever it was that saved me from myself, it feels like the whole weight of the world is just, you know, off my chest. My my head is in a much better place. And uh, now, you know, it's like that feeling of like, you can do anything. And that's, I think, the choppy guitars that, da -da 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 -da, and there's more mm -hmm. harmonies because it's more of a brighter place lyrically you know in, in wherever you are in your journey of, of the song it's kind of allowed for more harmonies and the ah, mm -hmm. and like you know kind of yeah. the falsetto harmonies and stuff that are coming in it's like it's meant to be it's still a darker musically song but with like happier harmonies going on there because you're in a better place yeah, and I only had mentioned the length only from the standpoint of when you and I've been I've been doing this for a minute, analyzing Lots songs long. like this. And yeah, and, and it's fascinating because yeah. there it's usually not that long of time. And that you know, normally I wouldn't really talk about, oh, this section was that long, but it struck me. Then we get into the next section here, um, which is uh what I'm calling the breakdown. We get this down, down, down. It's a backing vocal panned kind of left and right. The drums break down here to bass, uh drum and Side stick snare hits, bass guitar and acoustic guitar uh, panned off right with a percussion loop running underneath it all.
Down, 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 you're all I wanted. Down, 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 you're all I needed now. Down, 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 you're all I wanted. You're all I needed. On needed, you hear, you exhale and breathe during that part. Yeah. And I'll never forget when I first got Pro Tools, I wanted all my vocals to be nice and clean and edited. And I had a producer tell me, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, man, that the breath is what sells it. It's sexy. This guy's yeah. telling me that my, my breath is sexy. I'm like, what are you talking about? That was so foreign to hear that term. Yeah. And he, he, he meant it uh, very genuinely. But I noticed that there's, there's that, uh, that breath that happens there. And then there's a two-bar stop that happens happens here and there's a guitar chord panned off left that goes dun dun and then an octave guitar panned off right that goes dun 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 that happens there before we get in to what i'm calling the post bridge but this part this breakdown with the lyric here what were you trying to convey uh it's just kind of like the i had no idea that you know when i was on the down 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 this whole time you were all i what what i really needed this whole time um i just didn't know it so it's just kind of like that hey I'm admitting it, you know, it's like this whole time you were right there and I just didn't even know. And I'm calling this next part, I called it the post bridge, but it's really like a fake out here because it sounds like the chorus is going to hit you yeah. here, but it doesn't. And then it's just that guitar riff. Yeah, it's 16 bars of the chorus progression, but those ah-ah vocals on this first half, they're really predominant here before the vocals come in. And a new guitar lick is centered here that joins as well. And I won't forget the way you loved me, all that I wanted, all that I needed now. Yeah, it's just the kind of appreciation of like, you know, and I won't forget what you did for me. You were what saved me for myself. So it's like the thank you. Okay. And the next part is really perplexing to me in terms of a hit single. Mm -hmm. Okay. Typically you're going to want to just cookie cutter and paste the la Here comes the last chorus. You might change a note or something, but the first two lines here are drastically different than how you sang them in chorus one and chorus two. I love it. It's interesting. But to me for a pop single, it's a risky move. Was it ever discussed? You know, the more the discussions were, I never wanted to stick to what, you know, the equation of a formulaic. Yeah, exactly what a pop song is supposed to be. Because in that case, like that, that whole bridge breakdown, now a chorus with not even, you know, at that time there wasn't choruses and it's not a guitar solo, but because it's just a simple part, but that just yeah. like, mm -hmm. gives you a feeling. And then you're like, wait, where did this just come up? You, you know, all I wanted, all I needed now, you know, and then all the way down, I saw you save me from myself. You know, it's like, I remember them being like, that's something maybe, maybe you do that live. And then I'm like, no, because it's just like, this is the lift up. If you guys, if you want, you know, the big third, like yeah. shebang, like this is, this is the show. It's like, you just, you, you do that on the record and we kind of, you know, took a couple risks with, you know, what is supposed to happen on a song like that. And then when we did it and we finally heard it, we were like, yeah, that was, that was the right way to go. 
Well, like I said, it's drastically different than the other two. For a pop song, you don't see that too much. And and I, I really like that you uh, you stuck your neck out here. You, you guys took a chance. I think I think it paid off. That noodly guitar from the last section is even busier here in Chorus 3 uh, than it was in the last section. It's, t- it's all there. It's in the, all stuff coming in here. Yeah, last chorus, you're going to throw it all in. And I have to commend you on something, Ryan. Your recall of this time period because i know you were enamored okay you got you got thrown out to la here you are you're working with all these people you're wondering what the heck's going on you're a young kid i'm sure you were trying to have fun while you were doing all this you know you're living life and you know to remember all the nuances you had never recorded like this i don't even know if you had really recorded in pro tools prior to this and here you are you got a lot of recall because i you know i could imagine it was overwhelming yeah well i wanted to learn you know i wanted to i was like in my head i'm like you know one day i want to do this you know for myself you know and and it, and it paid off because i ended up you know producing the second record by myself and with doug mckean but like the entire time like for me like I'm getting to work with, you know, Doug McKee and Johnny Resnick, you know, Greg, all these incredible players. I was just, I was a student as, but I mean, I would, but I would stick up for myself. I knew what I, what I wanted, you know, when I wrote these songs of the vision of it, but you know, the entire time I'm watching everything that's going on. I'm watching what Doug's doing. I'm watching what Dan's doing, you know, who's doing the tracks. I'm watching what Greg's doing. I'm watching how everybody was doing what they were doing. Um, Cause I just wanted to learn um, so eventually, you know, I was like, you know, you never know, maybe one day I'll get to produce a record. So, you know, so I wanted to learn the whole way. That's awesome. Well, I love what I'm calling the outro here. So we get chorus three, which is a full chorus, same lyrics as the other two choruses. And then we get the outro here, which I love this because we come back to that breakdown, the down, down, down part. We get that again, because that's one of my favorite. I think it's one of the catchiest parts of the song. I love that you bring that back here. Uh, Those down, down, down backing vocals are are, are left and right again. Uh, We get a new Ooh, ooh, like vocal that comes in here at the end. It's pretty loud. It's pretty, pretty pronounced. Yeah. And the, so the lyric is down, 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 but I held on to you. Down, 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 but I held on to you. And held on to you is panned right, left, right, left four times over a 12 bar fade out with drums, the loop, and guitars decaying. The last thing you hear is that feedback, spacey noise kind of panned off right. Do you remember some of those sounds happening? Were those just Doug dialing up weird things in the computer and running it through and going, hey, what do you think of this? Um, some of them were. And and I remember we for both of the songs, we just kind of kept playing for a long time and just seeing what would happen. And I remember there was a, a different song that 
is called Hexadexa, but like the intro came from us just playing the song out and, and them taking that and like reversing it and doing stuff like that. So that was one of the things that would happen a lot with that record and what you know him and Doug like to do was like just just keep playing because you never know what might happen. So for me, I I originally ended the song after the da da but then you know they're like just keep playing and we kept it going and it kind of created a vibe that was like, oh, this is kind of cool. <laughs> and then it went to the side stick and, and the loops. I call it the the cliffhanger vibe. I always love songs that end like that because it doesn't feel like it's over. Yeah, it makes exactly. you feel like you want to want to rewind it and hear it again. And before we break, man, before we break, I got to ask you, you're just this kid. You, you, every, your, your story's fascinating. Everything you did at that time. You get the mix back. Where did this song sit with the other 12 songs? Did, was it your favorite or, or did you not know it was the single? Where, wh- what, did, what did you think when you got the mixes back? We knew it was the single. For me at that time, though, I thought, and I, now I didn't know how it works. I didn't know that, that there's, a, there's a method to all the madness and whatnot. Yeah. I, you like, put out the heavier song, you do the ballad later or whatever. I didn't know that. So I recorded this ballad <laughs> called True, but like, True was one of my favorite songs I'd ever written. Like just for me, like when I, you know, I remember coming up with that and then finishing it. And that, and that was a song that took a long time to finish. But I was like, this is, you know, like for at that time, I'm like, this is the best song I've ever written. Everyone else is like, dude, on the way down, you know, is is the lead. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. I was like, true. Like this, this is my favorite song I've ever written. They're like, yeah, but just trust us. And I'm like, okay. And, you know, they knew what they were doing. And I remember putting out On the Way Down and Evan Lamberg, who's a genius, is like, watch, this song is going to be a slow burner up the charts. Now, mind you, I'm young. I signed a record deal. They just came out with a new single. We're like, how's it doing? How's it doing? All right. It's, you know, at number 180. And I'm like, oh, wait, what? And they're like, no, this is this is a good thing. And then the next week, all right, it's at 170. And they're like, Oh man, you know, because in your head you're like, you're you're coming out with a single. It's your first song ever. You know, yeah. it's gonna go crazy. It's gonna be top ten, whatever. Now, <laughs> again, being young and dumb, didn't know how it works. And he's like, just watch the charts. And so every week, I remember going to um, the magazine stand on, I believe it was Laurel Canyon and Ventura, and I would go, you know, Billboard, open it up, like ah, uh, 160. Next week, go to the same corner every single week, same routine, go get that magazine. And then eventually, and it kept going and going, just kept climbing, climbing. And Evan was like, watch, I've, I've seen this a million times. Like, I've had a lot of artists. And, you know, as I didn't understand at that time, you know, I'm like, but it's going to take so long. And it did. And that's the reason why you're still hearing On the Way Down in Grocery Store, CVS, wherever it is, you know, <laughs> 19 years later. It's not one of those songs that you just, you know, you heard for three years. It was this big hit and then you never hear it again. You know, I'm very, very lucky and fortunate. You know, people still hit me every day. They're like, oh, I heard all the way down. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, I heard all the way down. You know, it's one of those kind of songs. Yeah. And that was because it did that. It just had this really slow climb. And then eventually I got it and it kept going up. And then we broke top 10 and then it came, you know, just what it, what it ended up being. And I'm like, oh. I get it now. Like, oh my gosh, this is this is wild. And then eventually, and then after that happened, then he was like, now we can release true. And then, you know, that was kind of like my baby of like, 
I, I wanted a song that was just acoustic guitar and the vocal and not really about the production and whatnot. And then that came out. So it was uh, it was a wild ride just kind of learning, you know, what the business was like. Sure. Sure. Well, I got to say, man, congratulations on all your success. And and I tell this to, you know, a, a lot of people that come on here. Most people never have a hit. OK, I know tons of people in bands, um, you know, to, to have a hit, to have something that, that's still getting played 20 years later is is no small feat. Congratulations. I'm stoked for you. I understand uh, your newest single uh, was released recently is called Prescription of You. What else you got going on you'd like to leave the listeners with before we break here, Ryan? Yeah, Prescription of You is, is kind of like it's the first single or song, you know, that, that we put out in, in a long time. And it's a, it's a very, very different vibe but you know at the same time you know i'm sure just like you guys like whenever we make new records new songs like we want to we want to keep you know growing and just challenging ourselves to you know get better and better and this song is just all about the vibe and you know it's it's like uh, more of like a you know fun funk dance kind of princey kind of vibe and then we're just still on tour um Obviously, I'm very, very lucky that we still get to just tour as much as we do because that's where I really, you know, feel at home is just performing and, you know, being in front of people and getting to meet people on the road. Um, so that's kind of the, the 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 plan as of now. And then uh, that get out next year. And that's what's that. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to. Oh, thank you. That was today. That was breaking down. Dude, that was way more fun than I ever could could have expected. I've never done that with any song before, so it's 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 cool to get to hear it, you know, kind of from your perspective and 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 how like, you know, dissecting you are and articulate with like the little part <laughs> of the songs. It's crazy. Well, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. I I I love this, man. It's been uh been at it for almost 4 years now and it's just it's addicting. It's crazy cuz every song's different. I haven't had a song yeah. on here that I have that I haven't liked. Uh there's been songs that prior to this podcast I would have said, "Oh yeah, I don't like that song I heard on the radio." But once I dissect it and realize that this is someone's fingerprint. I could have never created this. Elton John couldn't have created this. Only Ryan Cabrera could have done this. Yeah, you appreciate that's when it be- yeah cool. yeah you're making me want to go listen to song i'm gonna go listen to songs today in a different way because of this awesome buddy well thank you so much man all my all my best to you yeah chris same as well i'm feeling i need it your body got me on the floor you got it i want it the medicine and the cure cause you got looks to kill what's the deal what i gotta do to get you out of those heels Hey everybody, hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Ryan Cabrera. The song you were just hearing is Prescription of You. It's Ryan's new single, so go check that out. And don't go anywhere. We got lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.
One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we celebrate and occasionally have a laugh about those bands and artists that had one song that most people remember. Although many musicians may reject the term One Hit Wonder, we beg to differ with their aversion to it because wouldn't we all love to have a beloved hit song? On One Hit Thunder, we're joined by interesting guests from the world of music and comedy to dive into one artist each week. Our back catalog runs deep with episodes about everyone from Wild Cherry to Snow to Tag Team to Harvey Danger, and a new episode comes out every Wednesday. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your podcasts and join in on the fun. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Two Birds, a rock-pop duo from Nashville, Tennessee, consisting of AJ and Lenny, who together are pushing the boundaries of what a pop-rock band should sound like. You can find their music on Spotify. Here's a snippet of their song, Pop Rocks. Whatever it is, keep giving it up, so good, babe. Chris and Chris. So Chris, yet again, another great episode. I think it was a really cool story to hear about a young artist being thrown into the fire. And I'm sure that you and I can kind of relate to certain aspects of that story as well. We've all been young and part of the music industry in one way or another, but I thought his was especially interesting because there were a few things in his story where I know he was even saying like, what was I thinking? Especially when it came to like the Johnny Resnick stuff where he was like, I just kind of forgot that he was the guy from the Goo Goo Dolls who wrote all these great songs. It felt like we were on a level playing field there. And he's talking about having some arguments and stuff. It sounds like he called it naivete basically. Uh, But looking back, he's like, whoa, (laughs) what I do. But it's a good thing that everything happened the way it did because he got a hit album out of it. Yeah, Pretty no, cool. it's a, it's a crazy story. And you know what? I didn't. I was going to ask him. I didn't even get into this because I we'd probably still be talking to him right now because uh, it, it could have went on. But I was like, well, like, what did his parents and his family think of this? You know, he's like 20, 21 years old. Like, hey, kid, you're coming to L.A. with me. It's like, how many times have you heard that before? And, you know, there's tons of good looking kids singers, songwriters right now, back then every day that just have this dream of doing what Ryan has done that never even got to LA. Okay. And here he is in LA and maybe that was part of his, you know, maybe it was a little bit of uh, being young, uh, naive, whatever, but cockiness. He's in there going, Hey, he's had a number of people kind of blow smoke at him. So it's like, well, John Resnick's just the next character in line. Well, I mean, part of his story too, going in front of label executives with an acoustic guitar and just sitting down and playing. If someone asked you to do that right now, wouldn't 
you have a lot of nerves about that, like going into the president of a record company and just playing and singing? Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. and I had mentioned to him, too, that his recall of that time period, because I know it's like anything else. It's like the first time you go to Disney. What do, what do you remember about it? It was overwhelming, right? You know, you're a young kid, all these, yeah. you know, but by the fifth or sixth time you go, like you can recount specific things. Oh, when they do this and they, they get ready for this, that's what they do. Um, but, uh, you know, think of all the firsts that he was experiencing during this time. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was really cool, too, hearing the story about who do you want to produce your album? Oh, I don't know, Johnny Resnick <laughs> and thinking he's just throwing out, you know, shooting for the moon as far as producers go. Johnny Resnick wasn't even a producer. <laughs> right. And this was the first thing he ever produced. And then it worked out. I mean, to me, that's inspiring for like, hey, go for it. Who knows? The worst that someone can say is no, right? Yeah. And and you know what? Maybe Johnny Resnick didn't like the experience. Nothing against uh, Ryan, not, not personal, because you have a hit record like this. You'd think that his, mm -hmm. you know, people be knocking down Johnny's door, wanting him to produce. Maybe he was too busy with Goo Goo Dolls, but I think he could have parlayed this into some serious cash. You could have gotten at least another couple records, yeah. even even if they stiffed. So I, th I found that kind of interesting that Johnny's never really done anything else production-wise. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you have to be a certain type of person to want to be a producer. Maybe yeah. Johnny Resnick just wants to be the artist and be produced by someone else. You know, it's not not for everybody, but he tried it out and it definitely worked in the time yeah. he did it you know it was this was a hit song and uh i also thought that it was cool that he talked about how johnny was like yeah come on over and they were listening to some music and then they instantly start writing music together they already wrote songs the first time they hung out that goes a long way right i would think if i sat down and instantly started writing songs with somebody the first time we hung out that that would lead to a good working relationship yeah, and and that whole tuning thing, uh, you know, the yeah. older I get, I'll I'll mess with it sometimes. I've done, you know, the Keith Richards open G tuning, and when you don't play like that, and you go to put your fingers on the on the fretboard, you're like, wait a second, uh, I got to figure this out a little differently. It makes you relearn the instrument almost, and immediately when I start doing alternate tunings, I'll come up with something. It might be a riff, it might be an idea for a song, but something comes out of it. That's interesting. I was going to ask you if you ever played around with alternate tunings. I minus drop D or play in a half a step down. I've never played around with that. I wouldn't even, mm -hmm. it's, it's never even crossed my mind as something to try, but I'm kind of a little bit inspired to look up. Hey, what are some alternate tunings just to see, like you said, would something happen from that? Well, that it, would it, inspire? It, it, yeah, I don't, I don't sound like me when I'm playing it. Okay, I already know what I'm going to do on a standard guitar, a standard tune guitar. So it automatically makes it, it, it's a different texture. It's a different vibe. Yeah, it's still me playing it, but it doesn't sound like, you know, something I would typically play. It opens up your mind a little bit differently. So I'm glad that, uh, that, Johnny shared that with him and kind of shook things up a little bit. I thought it was interesting. They go a, a half step, a half beat, excuse me, uh, faster, a half BPM faster in the choruses. I, I don't know if I've heard half. I've heard a, a go, go up a, a beat or something, but that was interesting. That's so negligible. That's so crazy that that's such a slight amount. I've Yeah, I've heard about the going up to BPM in the chorus because even to BPM, you don't really hear it. Yeah. You know, the average listener is not going to hear that really. So yeah, that's interesting. I also thought the story about Sabelle having the tape recorder and just sort of taping the conversations as inspiration for lyrics. I don't think I've ever heard that before. I know that 
you can take inspiration from wherever, but I've never heard of someone like breaking out a tape recorder for the conversation, not for like we're jamming Mm -hmm. for conversation. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. I hadn't heard the tape recorder like that. I've definitely heard of producers pulling out a notepad and say, tell me about your relationship. What went South? And they'll take down some notes and jot kind of when the artist is, you know, is giving them stream of consciousness. But yeah, I thought that was interesting too. Yeah. And you and I are always recording our conversations, Chris. We certainly are. So you should go over to KristaMakes.com. It's our version of Patreon. It's our supporting cast. KristaMakes.com. You'll get bonus episodes each week of the after party. That's right. Chris and I will gladly talk to you after the main Monday show is off. ChrisDemakes.com Also, if you could, go over and subscribe to the Chris Demakes official YouTube channel. Chris Fafalius has been putting up tons of cool clips over there, so go check it out and give Chris a follow on Instagram at Chris Fafalius and give me a follow on Instagram at Less Than Chris D. Want to thank our guest this week, Ryan Cabrera, for sitting with us, and we'll see you next week. Hey, Chris Makes a Podcast producer, Chris Fafalius here. You may have heard me talk about my band Punchline before. Maybe you already know us, or maybe you're hearing about us for the first time right now. It doesn't matter. No matter what your relationship with Punchline is, I will absolutely guarantee that you'll love our new podcast, A Band Called Punchline. Starting with our humble beginnings in a small town in southwestern Pennsylvania in 1997, We're telling the hilarious, strange, and hopefully inspiring story of the 25-plus years of our band in the most honest way possible, podcast style. A Band Called Punchline is an audio documentary available now wherever you get your pods, so subscribe and let me and my friends share a wild, entertaining, unique, and wonderful tale of music and perseverance unlike any other that's still being written today. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.